am incredibly grateful to have the opportunity today to talk about our 2012 missions. And the purpose of this is not to motivate you to give money. It's not about that. It's to help us to expand our vision beyond our own individual lives, beyond our own neighborhoods, and to begin to see the possibility that you and I can have an impact that really could change the world. That we're a part of a kingdom that's far bigger than we are, far bigger than California is, far bigger than the United States are. And that God has chosen us to be a part of that because He wants to use us to do something that there is no other force in this world that can accomplish. In 1973, when I was in high school... I was preparing for the national championships in wrestling. I know that's a long time ago. They actually had school back then. But in order to help me, my dad, who had uh, considerable influence, was looking for someone that could help train me. And he had a lot of contacts in the wrestling world because he had been on a national champion team. And some of his close friends were gold medalists in the Olympics. And they helped him find a young man that he hired, moved him to my hometown to help train me up to wrestle. Just so happened that his name was Abdul Razak al-Jumaili. He was born and raised in Baghdad, Iraq. His family raised tobacco and, and camels, and they sold them and in order to get a better education and to give himself an opportunity to develop in his own life, he got out of Iraq. I never began to even think about what his life was like. I was so self-centered and self-focused, all I was worried about was what he could do for me. When I graduated from high school, he had to go back to Iraq, went on to become the director of special education for all of Iraq, And about 14 years ago, under Saddam's regime, they started killing off his family members. About 13 years ago, he contacted me. He didn't realize my father had died. And he was trying to find my dad because he was so desperate to get out of Iraq that he was going to the only place that he knew that he could find for help. And he, instead of finding my dad, found me. So we began the process of trying to organize a way to smuggle him out of Iraq to get him to safety. Once we had some things in place, we tried to contact him, and we could never find him again. I am certain that along with so many of the members of his family that Razak was killed, I can't do anything to affect his circumstance. But I think it brought personally to me that what's going on around the world, it affects us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Hollis said earlier that to have a baptism in the Middle East is very different than to have a baptism here because the circumstances that they live under every day are so radically different. And so what we're really wanting to do today more than anything else is to expand your vision to not only see the need, but to see how God can use you to help meet that need. 
We have several brothers and sisters that were on one of the trips with us to the Middle East. And the truth is, that trip was amazingly peaceful and fun. And there were so many awesome things that took place. During the conference while we were there, in the middle of the night, you could hear what sounded like fireworks. And what was going on at the time, unbeknownst to us, is that in a town about the same distance from where my home is to this church building in Syria, government troops were killing people. And what we were hearing were the sounds of gunfire and mortars being launched. To not understand that, to not know that, you would just have passed the noise off as no big deal. But God wants us to open our eyes. He wants us to see what the world really is like, and so we can get a vision and a dream that we can change this world. In a minute, we're going to be looking at a video, and it's an interesting video. It is an actual interview of a Muslim cleric that is trying to explain the benefits of wife beating. Now, we can't even begin to comprehend that in this country. We would see that as a crime. It is so commonplace there that he's trying to even teach them the proper way to correct your wife. So let's watch the video. يا دكتور ان المراه الاوروبيه في الوقت الحاضر بتنشد الرجل القوام انا يعني هدي المشاهدين سريعا كده بعض احصائيات سريعه عن هذا الامر اتفضل 90% من نساء بريطانيا ما بيحبوش يتزوجوا من الرجل الضعيف اللي اول ما تحصل اول مشكله او اي مشكله يقعد يعيط يقول لك لا ده الراجل ده عامل شكل حريم احنا عاوزين راجل راجل قضية الضرب دي شبهة خطيرة جدا نعم. واحدة واحدة معانا مولانا أقول إن الله كرم المرأة بهذه العقوبة عقوبة الضرب كيف؟ كرمها بالضرب هي والله مش معقول كيف؟ كيف؟ قال نبينا صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وسلم ولا تضرب الوجه الله ولا تقبح شوف كرمها إن ضربها لا يضربها على وجهها حتى وهو يضربها لا يسبها ولا يشتمها عجيب إذا هو يضرب للتأديب وإذا ضرب لا يزيد عن عشر وإذا ضرب لا يكسر عظمة ولا يقطع لحمة ولا يكسر سنة ولا يفقع عين أدب عند الضرب إذا ضرب عند التأديب لا يرفع يده إلى أعلى بل يضربها بحذاء صدره كل هذا تكريم للمرأة هي تحتاج إلى تأديب تحتاج إلى تأديب فكيف يؤدبها زوجها بالوعظ فإن لم ترتدع ولا تنزجر بالهجران فإن لم تنزجر بالضرب وجعل شروطا للضرب لا تضرب الوجه ولا تقبح وأنت تضرب لا تقبح تسب ولا تشتم يا ابنة كذا أنت كذا لا ممنوع هذا في طيب الإسلام تكريم لها يضربها بإيه نعم بعصا قالوا إن ضربها يضربها ضربا غير مبرح لا يترك أثرا يضربها بعصا قصيرة وإذا ضربها لا يضربها على وجهها ولا على أماكن الرأس التي تؤذي بل يضربها على بدنها ويفرق الضرب كل هذا اختيار اختيار لإجراء العقوبة لكن هذا لا يكون إلا عند استحالة الوسائل السابقة كمن تكريم الإسلام للمرأة أنه لم يجز العقوبة بالضرب كما قال أهل العلم إلا في حالة واحدة 
عند امتناعها عن فراشه عند امتناعها عن فراشه نعم لانه اين يذهب الرجل هو يريدها وهي تمتنع عنه فياتيها بالوعظ ياتيها بالتهديد ثاني مولانا الحته دي مهمه ثاني ثاني دي انا عايز اسمعها منك ثاني نعم يعني ما ينفعش واحد يضرب مراته عشان اكل عشان شرب عشان لا ايوه لا يكون الا لاجل هذه المساله التي لا يستغني عنها in the world. And we don't even begin to understand the implications of it. As absurd as this sounds, this is just one of many tenets of Islam that they live with every day. And so I really want us to get a vision not only of the need, but of our part in that need. And to that end, we have some of the brothers and sisters that have been on one of our recent trips here. And I want them to share What was something that motivated them? What was one thing they walked away from the time in the Middle East just to kind of help give you a vision of maybe how you can connect in a different way? Maddie, why don't you come on out? Hi, my name is Maddie, and I'm still thinking about that video we just saw. I'm so glad to live in America. <laughs> okay, on this trip, I had the privilege of meeting some amazing disciples Uh, both in Dubai and in Jordan. The thing that stood out to me the most were that they were just like us. Um, I don't know what I was expecting when I got there, but they made me feel very loved and uh, welcome. Just like I felt the first day I walked through these doors, I felt like I had come home. I was really impacted by all of them. They were so eager to hear about us and our lives here and also about sharing their lives and struggles. Um, some of them worked very long hours and don't get paid overtime, but they don't complain about it because they fear losing their jobs. Every year we write a check for special missions, and we know where it's going, but now I see where it's going, and the disciples we are helping. Without our support, these churches would cease to exist, and that's not an option. The theme of our conference there was, you, we will be free. And through our support and contribution, we're playing a big part in helping them be free. To have freedom to worship the Lord, and with God's help, they can live lives free of fear and persecution. During one of our D times, I met a woman by the name of Namet. She was very quiet and reserved, but as we all started to share, she opened up about her own personal struggles, and I knew how she was feeling, because not too long ago, I was in her same situation, and I knew that I, would, I was there for a purpose. Um, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the trip, I asked myself, what was my purpose for being there? And after hearing Namat, I knew that that was my purpose, just to be there, to be able to encourage her and support her and help her make some choices in her life that would help change her situation. Um, just before we left, um, I spoke to Namat, and she told me that she had spoken to her son and, and had told him how she was feeling. And uh, I could hear in her voice that she knew that things were going to change, and there was a lot of hope in her voice. And, um, and she told me that she was very happy that she had met me. And I felt honored to have been able to share that with her. And I think of her often, and I hope that sometime in the near future I'll be able to go back and see her again. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Brenda Bridges. And when the call went out looking for people to go to the Middle East, 
my first thought was it would be good to be able to take a trip like this. Little did I know just how much this trip would change me and my idea of what the churches would be like there. These are the faces of our brothers and sisters. I may not have left a lasting impression on them, but they sure have made one on me. Every evening, a list was put out pairing us with other disciples for a quiet time for the following morning. One morning, I was paired with three teen and campus sisters. I didn't know how I was going to break the ice, so to speak, so I asked everyone to share their favorite scripture and why. They were all very focused and passionate about God. I was very impressed as to how they expressed themselves. Soon we were talking about what they liked to do for fun, what kind of music they liked, and even the struggles that they faced at school. What they talked about was not all that different from our own teens. In everything they said, they acknowledged God. Later, as I was thinking about our conversation, I wondered how I could help them attain their goals and dreams, and what better way than through special missions. While talking to one of the single brothers there, he shared that one of the things he is looking for in a spouse was that she share his dream of planting more churches in Egypt and him becoming an evangelist. There were so many great memories, from floating in the Dead Sea to the ancient ruined Roman, uh, Roman ruins in Jeresh to visiting Mount Nebo and, of course, the late-night talks. In years past, when it was time for special missions, I did what I could to raise the money and met the goal of whatever percentage was required. I knew why we did it, but it still seems so impersonal. I gave my contribution as I always did, but there never was a real connection until now. Getting to know everyone and hearing their testimony put a different meaning on what Special Missions is all about. So this year, when I prepare to give my contribution, it won't be just writing a check. I will be remembering these faces. Will you do the same? Thank you. Hi, my name is Alexis Kelm. While we were at the conference in Jordan, we were staying in like this motel hotel building and it had rooftops to climb onto and these awesome places to hide. So Heather and I, being the little kids that we were, um, decided to get together, probably the oddest group of people, um, to play hide and go seek in the middle of the night. And let me tell you, I was not expecting it, but that was the most frustrating game of hide and go seek I have ever played. <laughs> Because despite the slight language barrier, uh, they had very different rules to this game that I had grown up with. And in my sinful nature, I did not want to change my rules. It's like, come on, people. I know how to play the game. It works. Just play it that way. <laughs> but, of course, I was outnumbered uh, one American to every ten Middle Easterners. And so I had to surrender to the fact that I will be playing the Egyptian version of Hide and Go Seek. But... Right then and there, God had revealed something. Before I visited the disciples, I had a very narrow, selfish uh, view of what my mission was. And I couldn't see that there was people all over the world that so desperately needed God and his everlasting love. And I wasn't opening myself to the idea that God could use me in an incredible way. Not just at home here or in my community, but in places like the Middle East. 
Uh, my view during and after the trip, though, had completely changed. I realized that I am a soldier in God's army, and there is strict training in uncomfortable situations that he was going to put me through, but there was a purpose behind those situations. And so being out of myself in the Middle East was an opportunity, and as I see it, a part of my training to build God's kingdom and encourage my fellow warriors in ways that I never thought I could do. And so God calls us to be courageous enough to step out of our comfort zone and realize that there is a world beyond our own little world. And God wants to use us to build his kingdom throughout all nations. So in conclusion, God had used a very simple game of hide-and-go-seek to reveal to me my heart at the time, which was so accustomed to my own comfortable lifestyle. God, he used that game to help me realize that I needed to step out of myself and what I know and fight the battle all around the world. And I need to challenge others to do the same as well. Personally, that was the most impacting part of my trip to the Middle East. Good morning, church. My name is Kimberly Terrell, and I'm part of the Singles Ministry. And when Mike presented this opportunity to go to Dubai and Jordan, I knew I needed to go. My heart was not where it needed to be for special missions. I wanted, I wanted it to be, and I knew this was an opportunity from God, so I took it. What moved my heart about the disciples in the Middle East was their servitude and their love for us. My needs were met physically, emotionally, and, and spiritually out in the Middle East. Everywhere we went, the disciples drove us. Um, they made sure our living arrangements were taken care of. Um, we had great, great food. They even did like an American theme night. <laughs> um, they bought us water while we were touring. I mean, they translated everything from Arabic to English, the testimonies, the songs. And on a personal note, I had my birthday while I was out there, and they helped me celebrate it. They took me um, to get a meal, ice cream, and then we went bowling. And this is what we're building, church. This is our fellowship all over the world. Before going to Dubai and Jordan, a group of us singles went to Boston. And the brothers and sisters there had a barbecue for us so that, so that we had an opportunity to meet other members of the congregation And we got an opportunity to just fellowship. This is what we're a part of all over the world. Now now we get an opportunity to give not just um, monetarily, but we get an opportunity just um, to help others uh, uh, win. We get an opportunity to win hearts for Christ all over the world. My heart has definitely been renewed and strengthened this year and ready to give special. But not only to give monetarily, but also from my heart. By, by opening up my home to the brothers and sisters that come um, to Riverside for the Middle East Conference in July, I challenge you to take advantage of this opportunity to welcome them into your homes and to build a fellowship. Let us lavish love on them when they come. Thank you. Hi. My name is Caroline Johnson, and I had the great opportunity to travel to the Middle East last year. The reason I wanted to go to the Middle East is because I wanted to be able to connect my heart with... um, 
with missions, with the, with the money that we give to support the Middle Eastern Church. I really wanted to be able to connect with the people there. Every year I would give my, middle, my um, special missions contribution, and it was never really a big challenge for me. I would try to exceed um, what I would give or what I was committed to give, but it never came from the heart. It was just a check to write. And I really wanted to change this. Being in the Middle East was amazing. Um, our first stop was Dubai, and we saw a lot of Dubai, uh, but nothing compared to being with the disciples at the church there when we met up with them at the, mid, at the midweek service. And the encouragement was fantastic, and they were so grateful that so many of us had come out to encourage and meet with them. I remember talking to some of the single women about you know, having their struggles and um, being amazed at just how open they were with me and how vulnerable they were with me, somebody they didn't really know. The only thing we had in common was Christ. Um, our next stop was Jordan, and I was really stunned by the number of disciples that had come from all over the Middle East just for the conference. As many of the sisters and brothers here have shared, we were so well taken care of and so well loved. I also remember, though, um, hearing the gunfire that Mike was just talking about from Syria and later learning that 70 people had been killed. We have actually three disciples in Syria. That means we have three brothers and sisters in Syria. And I remember having a conversation with May, who is Hala's cousin, um, about the struggles and challenges of being a disciple in Syria where there are over 20 million Muslims. God really pricked my heart at that time, and it really, everything just came alive in me as to why we do what we do, why missions is so important. The, um, the three largest churches in the Middle East are in Cairo, Dubai, and Jordan, and those three don't even quite total 300. And they are surrounded by 100 million Muslims. Okay. God continues to work powerfully in, in the Middle East, but there's so much work to do. There's a, there's, there's a need for a lot of resources. This year, when I give my special contribution, my thought will be with May and my other brothers and sisters in the Middle East. If you feel that what you give for special missions does not matter, trust me, it really matters, and it's so much needed. Thank you. Hello, my name is uh, Jorge Betancourt, uh, or Jorge or George, however you like to call me. Uh, I was very grateful to and proud to have gotten a chance to go to the Mission, uh, Middle East missions trip this past summer. Uh, it's not my first time uh, having gone out to the Middle East. I actually got a chance to go out in 2008 on a biblical study tour with uh, Douglas Jackney and a uh, Middle Eastern brother uh, there who helped to lead the trip. It was an incredible trip. Uh, we went to different historical sites um, that are pertinent to God and, you know, to our Lord Jesus Christ and where the apostles were at. And, you know, honestly, my, my purpose for going uh, at that time was you know, I felt very noble. It's like, I want to be where, where our Lord was at. I want to go where the apostles went. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that it was also a, kind of a, a, an awesome vacation for me because, you know, we got to stay in different hotels there and we ate like kings almost every day. However, uh, this past summer... My purpose for, for going uh, to the Middle East this past year was completely different from when I went back in 2008. This time when I went, I wanted to connect at a heart level with our brothers and sisters out there. I wanted to know who they were. I wanted to know their struggles. Um, I wanted to know their hearts. 
And I wanted to put a face to the money that we financially give to them to help support them so that I, I don't give out of a robotic mean, but that I give out of my heart. Um, I did not treat this, uh, this past summer uh, as, a, as a vacation. I, uh, in fact, there was a trip that they had organized that we could go uh, to this excursion that they had organized that day. But at the same time, the brothers are going to be having a soccer tournament or a game. And I decided, you know what, my purpose to here is different, so I'm going to stay here and play soccer with these brothers. And it was awesome because we built some great relationships, and they gave me a really cool nickname. They called me Mexico. So anytime they wanted to, anytime they wanted to pass by, Mexico, Mexico. So it was, it was so awesome. You know, and it was just the small ways that we connected with the brothers to start their life. It's like the brothers taught me how to play Jordanian-style pool. Uh, I taught one of the sisters there how to do some salsa because it's not really big in their area. We got deep in D groups, inside D groups, and out of it we got really deep with each other. And I got in touch with my 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 childlike heart, and we played a hide and go seek with everybody, and it was so much fun. Um, what did I get out of the trip? Out of this trip, I got some legitimate relationships. I have a legitimate concern for the brothers and sisters that are out there. Um, similar to what Caroline was saying, you know, in Syria, it's like I think about specifically the people that I hung out with. I think about Joe and May and May's grandmother out there. Um, I can honestly say that I miss them. And, uh, you know, if there's ever an opportunity where you can connect with our brothers and sisters, and I know there will be sometime soon, or to go out there to visit them, strongly encourage you to do it because it will change your perspective about our brothers and sisters out there and, and really move your hearts. Thank you. Uh, my name is Heather Dugas, and uh, unlike all these people, they went for the trip, but I've been studying Arabic for, uh, well, I studied it in college, the language and the culture, for three years, and um, I got to go there for other reasons, uh, but my heart is still the same, and that I love them very, very dearly. Um, so, like I was saying, this past summer, I had an opportunity to go to Jordan, and actually Lebanon and Dubai as well. Um, but what I wanted to say is that I really love Muslims. <laughs> like, they have touched my heart. I've seen different people, and I've seen how great they are. And um, the only thing is that they're so lost, so incredibly lost. Um, all of my time around them, I, uh, I, I see how, how they just try. And they try, and they work, and they strive, and they try to balance this great scale they think they can earn heaven you know so they try to serve enough give enough pray enough fast enough to earn their way to heaven but as we all know they can't um i know there are muslims who are extremists and who want to torture and kill christians but i've never met one but i do meet people every single day that don't understand that god gives grace to those who believe in him um they're so confused by the trinity and so disillusioned by what they see as american christianity that they just don't even want to have anything to do with the only one that can give them real peace. Uh, I really love the churches in the Middle East. They, they're so incredible, and I feel like I have family in Jordan and Lebanon, and like everybody is just like, oh, you're my buddy, and I want to stay with you forever. Um, <laughs> but they are the ones leading the charge in a place where becoming a Christian isn't easy, You know, where you really have to hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and love Christ so much more, because the reality is is that... By making that choice, they may be disowned or even killed by their families. Um, 
So it's my prayer that you would be able to see beyond the fear that can grip us so easily at the thought of the danger in the Middle East and be able to see the heart-wrenching need instead. Uh, There are millions of people throughout the Middle East who don't understand what Christianity really is. Uh, Millions who will die hoping that they have done enough and not realizing that Jesus was so much more than just a prophet. Uh, I also pray that you wouldn't just give your money. I know that's really easy to do, but I pray that you would open your heart um, and even be willing to maybe, you know, go over there and and not just give up, uh, you know, a year or so, but maybe give up your life, you know, be willing to go and, and serve and love them just like I'm able to. Um, but thank you so much, and I hope you vote for the Middle East. Woo! Let's give them another round of applause. You may ask yourself, how does the Middle East affect or influence you? Let me tell you, there is no region of the world that is more complicated or complex than the Middle East is. There is no region of the world that has more of an impact on you and I personally than the Middle East does. I've got a few slides that I want to show you here as we're going through. These are just some recent events that have come up in the newspaper. This is a young Christian minister who was arrested in 2010 because he would not recant his faith in Christ. Three days ago, the Supreme Court in Tehran upheld his execution because he has refused to renounce his faith in Jesus He is now scheduled to be executed. But let's go ahead and roll on through this. What's going on right now in Syria? It's on the news every night. The violence that is happening there has started another wave of protests that is affecting everything in the Middle East. Go on. Right now, economists believe that it is the Middle East and everything that's going on there that is driving not only the high gas prices, but it's probably got one of the most profound impacts on our economy in this country today. There are a number of us in here that feel the pressure of the economy. So much of that is driven by what's taking place in the Middle East. Next slide, Mike. Just uh, two weeks ago, there was another demonstration where a number of people were killed. This is one of the public funerals showing them escorting one of the bodies, Mike. Demonstration that was, I believe this one is actually in Cairo. This just taken place last week. Next slide. This is actually from a demonstration in Syria where they're basically just pleading for people to care. Right now, there are so many people being killed in Syria, and there is no one politically or in any other way really stepping up to put an end to it. And they're literally begging for help, they look primarily for help from the U.S. We may not be able to stop that, but in the middle of that, we can at least help them find peace in Jerusalem, peace in the Middle East. Amen? This is just another slide from Syria. The, the caption on there basically is just a plea for a change in government so people have a chance to live. Next slide. This is uh, uh, from a recent riot in, in Cairo, Egypt. Because so many Coptic Christians are being killed that right now the Coptics are taking to the streets in order to try to make the news so that people outside of Egypt see what's going on. My neighbors in the corner from us are 
from Cairo, Egypt. He was a physician. She had a very prominent uh, role in hospital administration. They fled to save their lives, and they fear every day because they are Coptic Christians and all their family are Coptic Christians. There are more Coptic Christians and Christians being killed in the Middle East now than all the Muslims being killed in the world today. Next slide. Just demonstration with the, uh, this is the military that is supposed to be surrendering control to a new government, but as yet they've not been able to get them to do that. Next slide. This is just another view from uh, this last week. There was a riot in Cairo. That's actually taken outside the hotel that I stay at all the time. Uh, next slide. This is just a continuation of that. And I believe that may be the last one. Nope. This is just in a protest. One of, one of the students trying to encourage people to not give up hope because they feel absolutely hopeless. Next slide. I don't know what that is. Footprints in the sand. That's the footprints that you can leave. Uh, this last week, Newsweek, the article that Libby referred to, you ought to pick this up if you can find it. We hear a lot about the things that are happening to Muslims. What we don't hear is what's going on to Christians, because it just doesn't make the news media. It is tragic what's going on there. But don't be deceived into thinking that it doesn't impact us, it does. In Matthew chapter 24, we're going to kind of flip through this stuff fairly quickly. Jesus is trying to prepare the apostles for the fact that he's not going to be with them anymore, that the mission of reaching the world is going to be in their hands, just as he has left that mission in our hands. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 6, he says, You will hear wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We see that happening every day. We will probably never stop war in the Middle East. Matter of fact, God said that it will be at war. But we can bring peace to the Middle East in the middle of war. That peace can only come from the relationship with God that we have. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We live in a vast media society where we see atrocities every single day. Part of what he was referring to is that we can't allow ourselves to be numbed to what's going on simply because it's overwhelming. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that you and I have, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus was trying to prepare the apostles that what he had given them, the truths about God, he never intended to drive the Romans out. He never intended to stop pain and suffering. He simply meant to lead them to the promised land. And that promised land was the relationship with God. In Acts chapter 1, as they began their missionary work, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. He's saying the same thing to us today. You may not be one of the people who physically goes over there, but you and I, literally because of the Holy Spirit in us, are witnessing to the Middle East that somebody cares. Do you remember the slide of the man standing up and the, the young guy standing up? They're just looking for someone to care. They're not as concerned about our money as they are having our hearts connected with them. They want us to know that they're going through sufferings just like we are, but we have help. They just are asking for help as well. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Appreciated so much what Libby shared for the communion. Because to realize that you and I have been chosen by God is crucial to the influence we can have. We're going to look at three quick things, and then we're going to wrap this up. The first is I want to try to convince you you've been chosen. I never would have believed in 1974, 1975, and 1976, and then even in 1979, when the, I believe it was 1979, when the uh, Iranian embassy was taken, that I would ever be able to have an influence and an impact. I'm sure that the people that were up here on stage never believed they could have an impact to change the lives of people in the Middle East, but they have. You're going to get that opportunity, not just in giving, but you're going to get that opportunity this summer. We're going to talk more specifically about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18, Paul in his letters to the Corinthian church, was trying to convince them of the importance of unity. And we talk about that all the time. We talk about how important it is to be united in a family, mother and a father. We talk about how important it is for us to be united on staff, for the staff to be united with the members. But he's really even referring to something much bigger than that. He's not talking about localized unity. He's talking about global, worldwide unity. To realize... These are our brothers and sisters. They may not be someone that we have personally met yet, but they need to matter to us. He literally is trying to help us understand that what you do and how you do it, the communication you have, the offering that we give, the, the uh, connection that we're going to have with the family groups and the churches over there, that sends a message of hope. A couple of the different people that shared talked about the three or four people that are living in Syria. Can you imagine being in a country that's tearing itself apart and being surrounded by millions upon millions of Muslims who, if they just learned about your faith, would not only arrest you and execute you, but could publicly torture you to death. You know what they need from you? Not a check. They need your heart. They need you to feel a connection. One of those peoples is Hollow's cousin. She knows them all. She's related to them. So are you and I. They're our brothers and sisters. I am so grateful to be a part of this church, and I'm so proud of the heart and the spirit that we have. But I really want today to do more than motivate us to give, I want it to lift our eyes to see the vision that God has chosen you 
And he's chosen me to do whatever we can to change this world. He just wants our heart and our attitude to be, here am I, send me. But the second thing I want us to understand is it's not an accident that we're connected with the Middle East. It is literally in that passage that Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians 4. He said it is through God's mercy that we have this ministry. Of all the places around the world for us to be chosen, to be partnered up with, to be able to do that in the Middle East is an unbelievable honor and privilege. It is one of the most neglected and deprived mission fields in the world today. It is absolutely one of the most neglected and deprived mission fields in our brotherhood today. We've been given the chance. We've been given the charge. We've been given a calling and a selection and an election by God to stand up individually and collectively And to answer the pleas of the brothers and sisters and all of the men and women over there to give hope to a hopeless place. In Psalms 96, verse 1, the psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. They are useless. Muslims are not evil, but Islam is. Muslims are God's children who have been deceived and led down a path of destruction and decadence. You and I, are the beacon that's meant to light the way to bring them out of that darkness and into the, into the light by declaring God's glory. And we do that in a lot of different ways. For all the gods of the nations are idle, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and glory are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We serve an amazing God. That in the middle of the kind of circumstances that we're talking about, those churches that you and I support mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and financially have all grown this year. Every single one of them. Many of those churches are the size of your family groups. They are in some of the most trying circumstances in the world today, and yet they're all growing. This last year, the Middle East churches grew more than they've grown in the last 12 years combined. That's because God's working. And I believe in all the stuff that's going on over there. God is trying to create opportunities for them and for us to really shine in a dark world. Isaiah 49, verse 5. Now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him, to gather Israel to Himself, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, 
to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you remember the Great Commission? The third and final thing I want to leave you with is that you and I do have the answers to solve the problems over there. We may not be able to solve the wars, but we've got the answers to solve the problems. Jesus said it very clearly in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to leave you with some practicals about what you can do. Number one, I want to challenge you to start praying for our brothers and our sisters in the Middle East every single day. If you pray about them, you'll care about them. Number two, while you're praying, let them be on your heart. Have them on your heart. In the next two weeks, we are going to be setting up each one of the family groups. We've been talking about this. We've now got this arranged so that each family group paired and partnered with one or two other family groups will adopt a church. We're going to connect you on Internet through email. We're going to let you start developing relationships through Facebook. Uh, and we want you to do that. We want you to get a relationship with them. And then when it's time to give our offering, we want to ask you to give financially. To give in ways maybe we've never done before. And I'm not even talking about the amount. I'm talking about the heart behind the amount. Where you are looking at it now like this is my brother. This is someone I care about. This is someone I love. But then the fifth thing is I want you to get involved with the Middle East Conference that's coming up. I don't know how many of you are excited about it, but... I want you to get excited. This, this July, uh, we're going to have a two-day conference on Friday and Saturday for the Middle East. We're bringing 22 uh, staff people over and a score of other brothers and sisters from every ministry in the Middle East over here. We are going to ask you to take them into your home to let them live with you for a week. We want you... To develop a relationship with them. Now, just so you know, for $21 a person, we could put them up in an apartment and feed them three meals a day. We've chosen not to do that. Because it's more important for you to get to know them. So I want you to start dreaming about and thinking about when you get back from San Antonio. They'll be arriving that Sunday and that Monday. We want all of them to have someone here that is chosen to take them into your home and let them be a part of your family and become a part of their family for that week. Then on Thursday night, we're going to have a dinner reception for all the brothers and sisters from the Middle East, but we also have brothers and sisters coming from all over the United States that either have family from the Middle East or are from the Middle East themselves, and we're going to have a an Arabic-themed dinner and reception that you're all invited to. It is the only part of the conference that we're going to actually charge for because we can't afford to just feed everybody that comes out. The cost is going to be $20. But that just pays for the food. 
The whole purpose of it, there won't be any lessons. It's just going to be hang time with brothers and sisters from the Middle East. We want you to feel a partnership and a partnering with those churches and with those individuals. So I want to encourage you as you're praying about it, let God move in your heart. Begin to start the communication as soon as your family group gets connected. Then we want you to give financially because they need the money. They need the, the financial support. They can't afford to have staff over there without our help. But then we want you to get connected with the Middle East. We want you to get connected with that conference. And then the last thing, I want to challenge you to be willing to go. Now, whether that means go to the Middle East or not, I don't know. Definitely means go to the conference. It means go, to be willing to do whatever God calls you to do to reach out. At the conclusion of the Middle East Conference, we're going to start our Arabic outreach in the Inland Empire in a massive way. We need some of you that get it on your heart to decide, I want to be a partner in this. I want to take part in this. You want to know how you can change the world? This is how we do it. It starts with one man with one vision, having one opportunity to share the good news about Jesus and not passing that up. God loves you. I love you. The Middle East loves you. But they need us. Amen. Thank you very much.